where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Today we've got a special season review of season three for you. I'm John. I'm James. That's right. It's once, twice, three times a season. And uh, what a season it's been, James. There's been highs, there's been lows, and we're going to unpick the whole thing in a a glorious season review. I mean, where where do you want to begin? Well, a little announcement as to all the platforms we're available on. They include Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public, as well as our main platform, Anchor, where we host all of our content. Before we delve into what the critics at the time said, I want to give my opinion that this has been my favourite season so far. Bold statement. It is, but I I think, all things measured, I think it is my favourite so far. Oh, why? What do you like so much about it, James? From the early episodes, they went back to basics in terms of the initial setup of the show. Diane coming in from this different background and joining this ragtag bunch of barflies and bar staff. What they had in addition to that, which they were able to do because of the previous seasons, was build up the characters so you knew about them. So it didn't feel as expositional or that they needed to put as much in in order to concentrate on how to tell a better story, as well as there being some very funny episodes and scenes littered throughout the season. Good justification. I think, um, I definitely think that some of my favourite episodes so far have been this season. The season was really good. Maybe favourite season so far, but not the favourite season finale. I thought the season finale was a bit flat, but in terms of this season, Executive Executioner, Peterson Crusoe, Diane Meets Mum, the inclusion of Frasier in this season... He's probably one of the best characters to join the season, you know. And I think he elevated the show quite a bit. But I think Norm and Cliff in these seasons have uh, been given a, a chance to like carry some story arcs, which have been really nice, uh, and carry some episodes. And they're the episodes that stand out to me. I think, will they, won't they? A bit thin. But I'd love to hear what the critics said, James. Well, let's give a little background of sorts. Although the first season was under danger of being cancelled, ratings increased during the second season and it won awards for both. For the third season, it was part of NBC's Thursday Night's The Best Night of Television on Television lineup. This consisted of The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, and Hill Street Blues, which was a pretty good lineup. It received high ratings for the entirety of its season, this Thursday Night lineup, and it beat the Thursday Night lineups of both ABC and CBS. As reported on 25th of April 1985, Cheers was the 12th most watched show for that broadcast season and was tied with ABC's Hotel, which is quite a big jump from the likes of season one, where it was in the high 40s, I think, as in 40th most watched show. In a 1985 survey of 36 critics for US newspapers, Cheers was ranked number two for best regular series, and Mike Duffy referred to it as the best comedy on television about a family of circumstance since the Mary Tyler Moore show and Taxi. And he said that in the 28th of September 1985 edition of Night News Service. So we could definitely see how it's increased both in quality, perhaps, but also in terms of awareness. It won awards. It received three honours from viewers for quality television, which went to Shelley Long, Rhea Perlman and Nicholas Colasanto. 
It had 12 Emmy nominations. Rhea Pillman won Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. And The Sound Crew won Outstanding Live and Tape Sound Mixing and Sound Effects for the series for Episode 21, which is The Executive's Executioner. I'd say it's probably because of the dream sequence which occurred within that episode. Shelley Long also won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy Series, raking in the awards there, I'd say. Now, before we delve into the storylines of this season, I think it's worth pointing out something we've avoided mentioning in the podcast so far because we didn't want it to distract from the show or give any spoilers. But sadly, Nicholas Colasanto passed away during the filming of the latter half of this season and the later episodes in which he appeared were filmed earlier in the season because of Shelley Long's pregnancy and filming around that to accommodate that. One of the things we wanted to do in this season three review is acknowledge his passing and the contribution he has made to Cheers over these three seasons. What do you think, John? Yeah, I think it's something which became very noticeable uh, within the latter end of the season. You know, there was a lot of reasoning why Coach didn't make an appearance in episodes. And I think his presence in those episodes was sorely missed. Obviously, they uh, featured him in the cold opening of the final, which was obviously pre-recorded quite a bit before. And I think we, we touched on his line where he sort of wistfully looked up into the sky and said, Carla, in some ways, he can see more. And I think that was, that was quite a nice sort of closing and final statement from Coach Say, which is something, as he usually did, was sort of a wise but naive kind of statement about situations. And I think he was always a very warm presence within the series. Couldn't have put it better. Should we delve into the storylines which were present in this season, some of which are affected by that and some of which are affected by other things happening behind the scenes? I suppose it's useful to talk about what those behind the scenes factors were. Firstly, we got the addition of Kelsey Grammer as Dr. Fraser Crane. At first, he had thought he had flunked his audition, but he was chosen for his performance with Ted Danson. And this ultimately led to an extension of his role beyond the first few episodes. The original storyline of having Diane break up with him early on was ended. And instead, we got them, you know, arranging a wedding in Florence. During the season, also, Shelley Long and Rhea Pillman were pregnant. And this had to be incorporated into filming. For Carla, it was the storyline of Dr. Bennett Ludlow. And while the crew considered having Diane become pregnant by either Sam or Frasier, could have been a who's the father storyline, they realized this would negatively impact the romantic storyline for Diane and probably not be fitting with her character. They instead decided to place her behind things or in one case inside a vent, which it worked. They seem to have gotten away with it. The scenes in Europe near the end of the season were filmed before her pregnancy became noticeable. And in March 1985, both actresses gave birth to baby girls. We talked about Nicholas Colasanto briefly. For a long time, he had a heart disease. This was since the mid-70s. And it had been worsened by alcoholism. Shortly after Christmas 1984, he was admitted to hospital. And after leaving, the doctor told him he shouldn't return to work. The last full episode he filmed was episode 22, Cheerio Cheers, which was filmed in November 1984. And on the 12th of February, 1985, he sadly died of a heart attack at the age of 61. The Bartender's Tale was the first episode filmed after his death. In the background of Cheers, a framed photo, which Nicholas Colasanto kept in his dressing room, is now stored within the bar, which is of Geronimo. And that, that will be there forever from 
how I hear, as a lasting sort of memory to him. I believe there's also, um, Nicholas Carcento used to put notes around the set as well to happen with his lines. I believe some of them were still existing on the set throughout the production of the seasons from here to beyond. That's true. A notable one is excerpts of the eulogy that was in Coach Barry's at Grudge. T-Bone Scott he was the son of an immigrant. <laughs> and like most immigrants, he was a human being. <laughs> Human beings make mistakes. We're just not perfect. But I'll tell you what isn't a mistake. To love someone and to forgive them, no matter what his shortcomings, that's not a mistake. I love that man. And I forgive him. And I know that for the rest of my life, every day, there's going to be a moment where I'm going to miss him. That's all I got to say. Between seasons, when they were clearing up the set and resetting it, one of the stagehands took down the note. It's not their fault. I imagine it was instructions from the studio. Obviously, the rest of the cast were very upset that that note was missing because it was, if I remember correctly, the note said something along the lines of, it's as though he's still here with us. Coach was talking about T-Bone Scappagioni, but it took on a new meaning after Colosanto's death. There's often been talking cheers of it being a place of community and a place of family. And I think the death of what was essentially the patriarch in Cheers certainly had an effect not only within the story, but on the actors as well. I mean, some key things which follow throughout the season three is uh, the topic of Cliff's trip to Florida, which often comes in and out of conversations as a constant reminder that Cliff has been on holiday. Uh, we also hear very frequently about Norman Vera trying for a child, something which comes up throughout the series all the way through, but never really gets much closure. So I'm not sure if that will continue into season four. It'd be nice to see. As you mentioned earlier, Carla became pregnant in this season, um, which will be something which will follow through. And that's with Dr. Bennett Ludlow. And then also Sam and Coach went back to school and got their diplomas. Will Sam use his diploma in the future? We'll find out. So I think those are some of the big-ish story points for the characters' developments. Yeah, I'd say so. You definitely touched on Carla's increasingly complex relationship with Nick and her children, which included her child with Dr. Bennett Ludlow, as well as Cliff's desire to return to Florida and fulfill his dreams. There was quite a few talk of dreams in this season and one's desire to fulfill them. There was a lot going on in this season. And I think in previous seasons, we may have had a couple of episodes which we both thought weren't the best. I think in this season, there's been less of them. This season had Sam Turns the Other Cheek, which I think was one episode we both were not fans of. I think that's the only episode that we both didn't particularly like. You should watch every episode of Cheers. None of them are skippable, but it's potentially our least favourite of this season. One which uh, I wasn't a huge fan of, but quite important for the story. I wasn't a huge fan of Whodunit. You didn't like the title. I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan of that episode. So I think there were a couple in here which, uh, for me didn't quite hit the mark. But 
ones like the executive executioner, Peterson Crusoe, Dan meets mum was a particular highlight for me as well. And of course, the snipe hunt. Those were all really good high points and some of my favourite episodes in terms of story and uh, character development. I think it's time to uh, go through our list of what our favourite episodes are. Oh, we can go for top three. I think I may have given my top three, but I can give some more into them more in depth. One of my favourites was The Executive's Executioner. Just love this episode because uh, it's nice when they do like a norm episode. That dream sequence in it. Very Twilight Zone-esque. I thought there was a lot to like in this episode. And I think it showed a lot more of Norm. Uh, We got an idea of his work life, but also his personal life. To see him like sort of push himself into quite, I suppose, a emotionally crushing scenario. But seeing how he came back from it in the end, it was a nice, nice episode. My number three, which I know was one you didn't particularly like, but I have for my number three, Rescue Me, because I think it had quite a poignant impact on the story and a fantastic performance by Martin Ferrero as the waiter. That is still one of my favourite scenes in Cheers thus far. The writing and performance from the guest star is just incredible. So one, one which uh, is up there for me, Fairy Tales Can Come True, the Halloween-esque one. I think it's again, I think the, the episodes which I've been drawn to for this season are the Cliff and Norm kind of ones. This one's obviously a Cliff episode. I just think it was a really nice sort of evolution of his character. It gave Cliff a moment to kind of be someone he, he's always sort of perceived himself to be. And I just thought it was a really nice episode for that. Everyone's in costume and they're all having a good time. Ranked very highly for me as well. I actually have that as my number one spot, Fairy Tales Can Come True. It feels to be sort of what the show does best, which is people in a pub having a good time. Well, it's funny you say that because for my number two position, I've got The Heart is a Lonely Snipe Hunter which is a prank-filled, joyous episode. Got the lads going on a, on a fishing trip and coming back and playing pranks on each other. It gave us a chance to see Frasier shine. It, you know, he came out of his shell a bit and saw that character develop. I'd say it's probably one of the first episodes where we got to see how funny Frasier could be. Uh, you know, episodes before that, there were Dan Mead's mum, but I think this one really showed us how Frasier fit in to this gang. You know, early reviews of Frasier, they just, some critics just called him the creepy boyfriend of Diane and they weren't really fans of him. Some said his awkward integration into the tight-knit group of friends was the subject of many an episode this season and he stuck out like a gigantic tool. By the end of the season, though, he ceased to be the nerdy kid nobody liked and fit in with the gang like a glove. And I think this episode really showed that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it was a really nice, fun episode, which I think uh, so many of them, they're not particularly fun. <laughs> well, so, some of them aren't fun. Like Sam turns the other cheek. It's not, not a fun one, really. Sam shot himself and lied about it because he cuckolded someone. That's, that's that episode. I'm quite stuck to pick a top episode. It was definitely the most difficult season to pick a top episode for. Fairy Tales can come true for me, partly because it was our 50th episode, which was a nice occasion for us. I've actually changed my list as we've been making it. I wrote a list and I changed it whilst we were talking about it. I think one, one of them's up there for me was Diane Meets Mum. Nancy Marchand as uh, Hester Crane just was such a good performance and a standout performance in the season. And just how she delivered the lines. Listen, and listen carefully. Stop seeing my son, or as God is my witness, I'll kill you. Something to munch on. Yum, yum, yum. Now listen to me. I have a gun. I know how to use it. Doesn't that look lovely? I think it was probably one of the best 
episodes for Diane really as well because she had something to actually perform against. There was actually some kind of conflict in there maybe that wasn't just uh Sam. Yeah, I think that was really good. And I think that dynamic, you mentioned earlier that the snipe hunt helped sort of make Fraser Crane a bit more of a sort of human character maybe. And I think um, this episode did that for me, for him, because it, it kind of showed a bit more about him and he was trying to balance making his mum happy and his girlfriend. So for me, I think I mean, I'll put that in my top. I've changed my list from what I'd had previously written, but you know, I'll go with it. You said briefly that not all the episodes are fun. I think because of that is an opportunity to talk about our highest highs and lowest lows, the roller coaster of emotions that this season took us on. One that I didn't like that much. Wasn't a huge fan of addiction time. It felt kind of like a filler, if you know what I mean. It didn't really go anywhere really. What was your opinion on that, that episode? I have mixed feelings about addiction time. I think it was a potentially dangerous subject for them to do an episode on, one that's centred on mental health, but to have it almost be a punchline. I thought that could have been dangerous. I think they had some grace in the fact that at the end of the episode, she didn't want to be with Sam. It didn't solve everything. But what it did do was it was able to show that people with the mental health issues that this lady had weren't insane or anything, just had a different way of thinking and approaching things. And when it turned out she didn't want to be with Sam, the joke kind of turned Sam to be the punchline. So I think they had some grace there. Obviously, the actress was Carol Kane as Amanda Boyer. She always does a great job. She's a great character actress, very versatile. We said reviewing the episode, she was in Adam's Family Values and she's recently in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So I don't think there was anything wrong with her performance at all. I quite liked her performance. But yeah, for me, it was it's an episode which whenever I watch it, even though I know how it ends, it's difficult to invest in the humor, given the attitudes which have changed in the time since it has aired. There were a few episodes which had a similar response in that they were difficult to watch because of the emotional impact they had. I think we can both agree the lowest low of this season emotionally is knowing it was coaches last season. We had a difficult time not mentioning it in episodes in this season and skirting around the subject. We knew it was his last season, but we just didn't want to spoil it for any of you. And we knew why the excuses were being made. But there was always there was always a sadness behind our conversations whenever we discussed the reasons he was absent from those episodes. Quite an emotional season for that. And I think especially, you know, that I'm glad that he got a few really nice episodes in here. Potentially some of his highlight episodes from this season. I mean, obviously, Coach and Love was probably biggest point within this, which unfortunately doesn't have the best ending for his character. But it was nice to see him be able to have a sort of lead role across a, a two-arc structure. Yes, then that was what the next lowest though for me was it was coach being left at the altar of cheers and him you know on the phone telling his fiance to to go with the rich guy coach don't answer that phone we both know like you do that it's irene but why not teach her a lesson no diane she was thoughtful enough to call yeah look look honey let me do the talking if i hear your voice i might change my mind you're better off with the rich guy. I realize that even if you don't. Now, look, we had some good times. Just take care of yourself, huh? And I think it really personified everything about Coach. It was, it was a scene which showed how caring he was, how humble he was, how devoted and determined it was. And if anyone were to do a montage of the story of Coach over these three seasons, I think that scene should have to be included. 
because of how powerful it was. Do any of the lowest lows that you'd like to talk about, James? As we go up the list, they get better, more positive. But I think the next one is uh, Carla asking for support after breaking up with Dr. Ludlow because financial support, emotional support to help with her unborn child. That was quite a blow again, it reminded us of Father Knows Last. We also saw at the start of the season, Sam was off the wagon, which we'd only heard about beforehand. Yeah, I'd actually forgot about that in, in terms of lowest lows of characters' uh, characters' points. And that's kind of been the, the theme of the season is kind of the recovery from that. Another lowest low for me was in Peterson Crusoe, when Norm was going to live his dream and kind of backed out of it and chickened out a bit. And that he had a lot of shame connected to that. Yes, yes, he did. It did ask the question of the aspect of legacy. With it being a bar where everybody knows your name, it means that whether you do something good or bad, everyone will know. Yeah, it's kind of these like the reputations. And I think throughout this season, a few people are trying to correct their reputations, I guess. Cliff being one of them, who's trying to get the reputation of a, a ladies man, courteous Cliff. But also people who are trying to sort of clear their reputations, maybe like Sam after falling off the wagon and trying to recover. Diane, I guess, after having her nervous vacation. So people are trying to sort of prove themselves, I guess. That's it, exactly. I think that's what this season has done differently. I think the end of season two, beginning of this season, showed the characters at their lowest. And I think a lot of this season was about people proving themselves to others. If we were to look at it as a kind of microcosm, we could just look at Nick in the episode, if ever I would leave you, episode 20, whereas he's got this own redemptive arc to Lovetta, Carla, the women in his life, basically. That's a smaller representation of all of the characters in Cheers. We know when Cliff went to Florida, you know, at the time of his life, lived his dream, and he liked to see himself as Ponce de Leon, even acting as such for the Halloween party, which I think is a lovely moment and probably the highest high of the season is Cliff dancing with Sharon O'Hare, who was dressed as Tinkerbell. Even Norm, there may have been jokes about him and Vera trying to have children unsuccessfully, but we know deep down Norm loves his wife and I think he was genuinely hoping they'd be able to have a child. I had a theory in the executive's executioner that they had realised that they were unable to, partially because it wasn't mentioned as much after that. It's never directly stated, but I have a, a theory that that aspect of Norm's legacy and Norm's purpose is not as fulfilled as he'd like it to be. One of the biggest themes of, I suppose, Cheers altogether is legacy. And one of the ones which, a theme which I think sort of developed in this season was this idea of winning and obsessions to win, uh, which was tackled quite on the nail in the episode King of the Hill. But then when you kind of go back through it and look through all the other episodes, there's kind of underlying ideas there in things like the snipe hunt, bar bet, obviously, where Sam essentially tries to marry someone so he doesn't lose a bet. It kind of comes to head in Cheerio Cheers where, I mean, we talked about Sam and Diane sort of standoff where they're just calling each other friend and don't want to sort of back down to say how either of them are really feeling. And I guess this extends to other characters like in The Bells of St. Cleet's and Carla wanting her revenge and that kind of obsession of winning, uh, I guess, life maybe in that case and getting back at her old teacher. Interesting you bring up Carla's search for revenge because there's been increasing nautical references in Cheers and the quest for revenge is a large part of Moby Dick written by Herman Melville. I think whether it's directly stated or not, I think aspects of Moby Dick had a huge influence on the writing 
of Cheers in particular this season. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the, a lot of that's kind of there in terms of people trying to hunt their great whale. But it's that idea of trying to accomplish the thing that you've set out to accomplish. I think by the end of this season, nobody has. Yes, which is a nihilistic outlook, perhaps. Yeah, well, I guess it kind of shows that at this point, the story's not complete. My assumption is that season four was already confirmed, which means a lot of things are kind of left up in the air. I think really the only thing that's been introduced in this season that is kind of long lasting has been the introduction of Frasier. And everything else has kind of come and gone from episode to episode. It's interesting that we're in season three and all three of these seasons have either been the first season where someone has been a main cast member or the last. Season one, for most of the cast, they were main cast members. Season two added Cliff as a main cast member, though you couldn't really tell the difference. And season three is Coach's last season. It's notable how that roster has changed. And I think going into season four, we'll be intrigued to see how it how the changes continue. I think it sort of shows how it's an ever-evolving program. And it's had to deal with, I guess, real-life scenarios, being characters' pregnancies and things like that, to death, and how the show responds to that is kind of showing how it, it does kind of reflect an element of real life. I think we've discussed that before about Cheers, is that for a sitcom, it was striving to be more representational of real life. A lot of sitcoms were, for lack of a better word, glamorous setting this one in a bar in Boston. It was deliberately going against the grain. It was deliberately trying to show people who weren't movie stars or whatever, but were part of this culture. And I think it probably had a large impact on the culture surrounding bars and socializing. I think a lot of people who have commented on our podcast have said how when they were watching the show, when they were younger, when it was on, they would look up to these people, whether they should or not, is still up for debate. They've admitted this themselves. But what they were able to see was despite the environment and despite the circumstances, they were people enjoying their lives. It's no secret that half of this season was recorded during lockdown procedure due to COVID-19. And Well, just clarify that, James. Half of our season, not season three of Chips, season three of where nobody knows your name. That is worth pointing out, yes. One thing that has become apparent is not just the nostalgia that us two have had, but other people we know have had for pubs and bars and drinking locations. But in that watching Cheers, they're able to see what it was like. And without being too poetic, it reminds us of a simpler time. Yeah, I think um, definitely in this, I guess people are calling it a new norm. There's been a resurgence of watching old programs, especially with them readily available to binge. But I think that there is definitely that looking back to a simpler time. And I think that's something which Cheers presents very well, especially a few of these episodes just being really fun episodes. And I think that's something which people have really drawn to over the past few months, I guess, of us doing this in in these circumstances. I completely agree. And I think having it set in a bar lets us vicariously relive those days of being in a bar for the time being. Now, by the time you listen to this, bars may be open. That may have changed. But during lockdown, that has been a huge benefit and a good thing for us and other people who've watched the show to enjoy. But I think Cheers has had its own unique purpose during these times. I tell you what, James, in line with that, what have been your three favourite episodes which form a sort of three arc structure for a particular character across this series? Good question. I think for Frasier, we're probably looking at I Call Your Name, Diane's Allergy and Diane Meets Mum. 
Okay. I call your names when they're first getting together. Straight after rebound is when they're first getting together. Diane's allergy, they're moving in together. And Diane meets mom, Diane meets his mom. So it shows us that development of their relationship, as well as showing how Phaedra is trying to balance those things. No, I think there's a, a really good pick of three big developments of Frasier throughout the series, especially the first half, that really establishes character. What about you, John? I picked one about Frasier. Did you pick one about Frasier also, or did you go for someone else? No, James. I don't have Crane on the brain. I did none other than uh, Curtius Cliff, but similarly, started off three-arc structure with I Call Your Name, where... Uh, Cliff's ratted out on a colleague, obviously Lewis, and then Cliff is compelled to do the honourable thing and follow the rules by the book. Then we have Fairy Tales Can Come True, the Halloween episode that we've talked about so fondly, where Cliff finds love. But then kind of coming back to the male goes to jail, where Cliff kind of tears up the rule books and just does stuff to benefit himself. But I think he learns a bit of a valuable lesson where he has to kind of find a middle ground where he's doing stuff not just for himself and not just by the books, but following his own moral compass, like Ponsley onward. In respect of that, and how you mentioned such an eponymous and well-known figure as Ponce de Leon, perhaps it's time for us to talk about our favourite guest actors this season. Yeah, let's go for it. I'll talk about them in order of appearance. You might have some others. Bernadette Burkett as Tinkerbell in Fairy Tales Can Come True. What do you think of her performance? One of the more subtle, maybe because she was on a mask for most of the time, but one of the more subtle characters. But actually, you know, on reflection, stands out because she played the character so well. And obviously she knew the guys, what with being married to George Wendt. But I think... um. As you said, knowing them, she bounces off Cliff as a character very well and mirrors some of his sensibilities and like, they made a a nice on-screen pair. They did indeed. You already talked about Nancy Marchand as Hester Crane in episode eight. Fantastic actress. She's also been in The Naked Gun and The Sopranos. Very good performance. And we even talked about how her role in Diami's Mom was a precursor to her soprano as well. And, And the reason why I put that in my number one episode of the season. Incredible job. Also got Carol Kane as Amanda Boyer, which we briefly mentioned. Addiction time. Yeah. As I say, great character actress. We like Carol Kane's work, don't we, John? Yeah, but didn't like the episode of Cheers. I love Adam's family. Yeah. We had James Caron as Bennett Ludlow. You weren't necessarily a fan of this episode, but I thought James Caron did a good job. I think he did a great job as performing as Bennett Ludlow. Yeah, I think he did a good job. I just think it would have been interesting if he was able to continue playing the character and see how him and Carla would have sort of bounced off each other and developed that on-screen chemistry. I've heard that they were hesitant to have her in a steady relationship because of how it would affect her character and her mentality. And it wouldn't be as interesting to watch, essentially. Whether or not that's true, there was certainly a change in her character for that episode without oversimplifying it. She seemed happier. And the writers couldn't allow that. Perhaps as it goes on, that may change. But at least in the early episodes... Carla was the kind of mean-spirited single mother. Perhaps at this juncture, they were unsure what to do with her character if that changed. Michael Richards as Eddie Gordon appeared in episode 18. I watched the first season of Seinfeld and Michael Richards, both in Seinfeld and this, within limited scenes, he's already shown the kind of wacky character he is in this episode as Eddie Gordon in the episode Barbette. Uh, Free chicken wings. Free chicken wings. And we even said at the time, we'd like to see Eddie Gordon return at some point. He probably wouldn't be allowed in, 
but I think you said you'd like to see an Eddie Gordon and Harry the Hat tag team. Harry the Hat and anyone. We also had Lila Kay as Lillian Huxley in The Bartender's Tale, episode 23, one which occurred on the back end of the season. And after Cheerio Cheers, there were some episodes which felt sort of like an epilogue of sorts. Could the season have ended at Cheerio Cheers? Maybe, maybe not. Definitely. I was going to say it's up for debate, but... John disagrees. The Bartender's Tale was a good episode. We enjoyed it. It was one of the episodes which aired after Cheerio Cheers. It was the first episode filmed after the death of Nicholas Colosanto. And Lila Kay, who came in as relief bar staff, did an incredible job. Uh, Lillian Huxley, very funny. Good to watch. Lila Kay, what is evident from all the roles I've seen her in is the passion she puts into each of those roles, both in this Mamalone and American Werewolf. She has very powerful emotions in all of them. And definitely a, a standout episode, I think. I think it really was a, a standout in the season. And her character brought a lot of life to the bar, and a lot of songs. end it off and you can say any characters i guess actors you thought of as well but in the finale i said it before but i really enjoyed martin ferrero as the waiter he was another standout such a good character bringing just a good energy to the scripts and to the set and his jokes landed so well they did indeed i loved it i thought it was great and as i said at the time it reminded me of faulty towers i tell you what james through all of that list of all the good memories to the season You've convinced me that, you know. This season has some good standout guests. It's the trivia and awards, John. Yeah, awards time. Now, these parcels, should we open these parcels first? This is how Christmas works, right? You open all the parcels and then you open the Christmas cards that, you know, you're not as concerned about. You can't drink a Christmas card, but you can drink something which is in the shape of a bottle and is probably wine. I tell you what, James, I'll I'll kick off with, with a fitting category called Express Delivery. The best deliveries that Cheers uh, received this season. We're starting with uh, one of the nominees, Norm's letter from Bora Bora. It's a good one. Coach's letter from his family reunion. And the winner, the uh, billiard buddy adapter for the pool table. I'm I'm enjoying the deliveries that Cheers gets. They get a a wide variety. I'm going to miss the um, orders that Coach puts in of random stuff. I've got a similar parcel here called Relief Pitcher. Now, who could we always count on to save the day, you know, to bring us joy bail us out when in trouble and keep us on the right path. A few nominees here. We got Sam. Hey, Sammy. It's not Sam. We got Al. Maybe someone who you think should win it. And we know how you feel about Al, John. But it's not Al. Is it Tom? Resident lawyer Tom gets us out when we're in a legal scrape. Tom's here to save the day. It's not Tom. Is it Norm? Big Norm? Always there with a quip when you serve him a drink? It's not Norm. There's only one person who I think it could be for this season person who's been here to support us been a father figure to us and the characters for three seasons and we're sad to say goodbye to him and it's of course coach ernie pantuso a well-deserved award in this season james cheers saw a phenomenal amount of proposals wedding proposals wedding proposals uh, and implied proposals obviously we've got coach's proposal from coach and love carla also gets proposed by bennett ludlow played by james Caron. 
Fraser and Diane, obviously he proposes in Italy. Sam, he gets like an implied proposal from Carol Kane as Amanda in Addiction Time when she introduces him as her fiance. But the, uh, the worst proposal by far is in Bar Bet where Sam, just so he can win a bet, proposes to Jacqueline Bissett played by Laurie Walters, which uh, hands down I think is probably the, the worst reason to post someone. Yes. If I were to propose to someone, I'd try to think of a better reason than that, even if it was the truth. I've got uh, another award here called The Italian Job, and it's the best scene from Diane and Fraser's Travels. You probably know what I've given this award to. Luigi's Restaurant? It's the sad dinner at Luigi's, yes. Other notable contenders are Fraser tipping the bellboy $100, Fraser starts a fire while Diane is on the phone, Diane getting angry at him and then him getting ash on his face. And another one, the phone booth call and their decision to get married in a small town just because of its poignancy. But of course, for me, it's the sad dinner at Luigi's. Well, my last award, James, I'm actually going to let you pick the winner. It is a best recap of the season. Uh, If you remember in season two, we had a really good recap for one of the part two episodes where Coach did like a elaborate game plan of what had happened in the previous episode. In this season, we got Cliff's slides from his trip to Florida to bring us up to date with what had happened in the previous episode. We also got a really good montage of all the exterior shots of all the characters' houses with a sort of like narration of what they were doing inside as they recapped uh, their week to their spouses and families. Hi, sweetheart. Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. I know we haven't spent that much time together lately, but awful lot's been happening down at Cheers. Let me just grab a beer. Anyway, this woman, Irene Blanchard, walks into the bar a few weeks ago, and Coach falls for her like a ton of bricks. Kind of like when we first laid eyes on each other. Yeah. (laughs) Well, next thing you know, he's taking her out of the town, and they've been seeing each other every night since. So I guess it wasn't totally unexpected when Coach comes in tonight and... Hey, 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 I saw that yawn. I can finish this story tomorrow. Come on, let's you and me turn in, huh? No, no, shh, shh, Wake up, Vera. Be right up, dear. You stupid dog. Well, let you pick the winner, James. What I liked about the houses was we got to see an aspect of the characters' lives that we hadn't seen before. And I liked that. I completely agree. Good choice, James. Pretty good that it's kind of showing that class divide as well as showing a bit of their family lives. We've got to hear Vera. I have one more parcel here. It's called Be Our Guest, and it's for Best Guest Appearance. The nominees are Nancy Marchand, Bernadette Burkett, Lila Kay, and Michael Richards, plus another nomination. Now, this last nomination has won my award for Be Our Guest, and the clue's in the title. So who do you think this award has been given to? Fraser Crane? No, it's a good guess. But uh, I'm going to give this award for Be Our Guest to Cheers Weekly, who guested in uh, the episode Diane's Allergy, and we interviewed each other, and it was lovely. Great time discussing Cheers and each of our podcasts. If you want to go back and listen to Diane's Allergy to see how that conversation went. And special thank you for them for being our first guest on Where Nobody Knows Your Name. And we'd love to have more guests who would you like to see appear on where nobody knows your name? Let us know. So I've got, I got a piece of trivia for you now, James. You mentioned earlier about the Thursday night schedule that Cheers was a part of. But what time was Cheers on? Eight. Nine. Which kind of struck me as a bit kind of like nine o'clock showing. Makes me feel like it's like edgy program. And I guess Cheers might have been for the time. When is the watershed in the UK? Is it nine or ten? For those who don't know, there's this thing in the UK called 
the watershed and means that anything after this time is allowed to be more violent and more sweary. And you could tell as soon as it hits the watershed because shows go, it's two minutes past the hour. We could shoot someone. The sort of introduction goes, there is strong language and violence from the offset. The first shot is like a dead body in an ocean. But that didn't happen in Cheers. Which was the first episode Coach did not appear in and what reason was given? I mean, it'd be a, a guess. Was it The Heart is a Lonely Snipe Hunter? No, it was later than that. It was Barbet, episode 18. And he was in Vermont getting his driver's license. At the Primetime Emmy Awards, several episodes were nominated for Best Writing. So I wonder if you could guess which episodes. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's a surprise in there. Best Writing. I am going to say Coach in Love. Nope. Diana Meets Mum. No. The first one is I Call Your Name by uh, Peter Casey and David Lee. No surprises there. Then Rebound Part 2, the uh, second episode of the season by uh, Glenn Charles and Les Charles. The third one, David Lloyd and his writing on Sam Turns the Other Cheek. I mean, I like David Lloyd. He's done some good work, but I'm surprised. I mean, it's still a Cheers episode, so it's still worth watching. But compared to other Cheers episodes... So I I thought that was a bit surprising. Another one here. How many episodes did Frasier appear in? 18. You're pretty close. Is that 15? Two of them were uncredited. That's a good portion of the season. I've got another question here related to the role of Frasier. Which actor did Cheers producers originally have in mind for Frasier? John Lithgow, who refused to do anything to do with TV for a long time. In uh, 1983, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. In 1984, he played the pastor who condemns dancing in Footloose. Three characters made single episode guest appearances following roles in previous seasons. Which characters were they? Tom the lawyer? No, he's appeared in a few episodes this season. I I don't know, James. Who? You'll kick yourself when I say them. The first one is... Box, the chauffeur. He appeared in Rebound Part 1. He previously appeared in Season 1, Episode 20, Someone Single, Someone Blue. Next one is Harrison Fiendler, the Reverend, who appeared in Episode 18, Barbet. He also appeared in Season 1, Episode 20, Someone Single, Someone Blue. There's one more. Lewis, who appeared in The Mail Goes to Jail, and he previously appeared in Cliff's Rocky Moment. Of course, I'd, I'd forgot about them. You know, I think from season one to season two, there were some really good returns with like Harry the Hat and uh, Andy Andy, which were really memorable. Not to say these ones weren't memorable, but I didn't remember them. <laughs> they didn't have as big of an impact. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. It'd be nice to see um, some more of those other characters return. That's the, the last call for the last episode of this season, James. And how would, how would you round this up? I think I'll stick by my opening statement that... This was my favourite season so far. It's led us in a different direction. It introduced a new character to the bar as another character was leaving us. And I think going forward, we're going to see quite a large shift in how the bar operates and the relationships therein. Yeah, I think definitely. I think uh, this season feels a bit unfinished in the sense of there wasn't a huge amount of closure. It ended on a, on a cliffhanger of sorts and i'm looking forward to coming back and seeing where it goes afterwards there's still a lot to explore with the characters norm's story didn't really finish cliff's story feels like it hasn't really taken off yet 
and it'll be uh, interesting to see where they go from there. So what, what drink would you have to, to summarise this season, James? Oh, that is a good question. I think we'd want something which is a bit mysterious. I'd say some kind of cocktail with grapefruit in it. And I say this because grapefruit is one where you go, hmm, well, that is a sharp taste. I need some more of this. I'm, I'm intrigued. Just grapefruits? Sure. Well, a grapefruit martini. It sounds good to me, James. So uh, I guess we'll raise our glasses in the air, James. And uh, we'll say a toast to season three. Is there anything else you'd like to toast? Nicholas Colasanto. Thank you for listening, everyone, to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers Podcast. Mm-hmm.